Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about journeying through cinema with my good friend. I am your host, Patrick, and my good friend is Eric. Follow us on Letterboxd. I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey. Each episode, we pick a film to watch together and secretly pick something to watch on our own inspired by that choice. Today's film is... I'm totally fine. <laughs> Eric, you're in, for, you're in for another treat today. Am I? Yes. Uh, I have another game we can play. Well, it's the same game. Guess the Arnold. Well, let's go for it. All right. This one is 1988. Can this be a, a weekly feature? <laughs> I I may run out of Arnold movies I want to watch, but I'll, I'll endeavor to How keep it up. How dare you? <laughs> then repeat some. <laughs> All right. 1988. <sighs> 1988. I will tell you, I was not a big fan of this at all. Ooh. Yeah. It's well, one that I hmm. thought I liked you know, when I saw it. Who knows if I actually saw it all the way through. Do I get another hint besides the year? Because. Yes, I'll give you another hint. It was directed by the same person who directed the last Guess the Arnold movie. Uh, who was it? Reitman? Yes, Ivan Reitman. Um, no, it was Kindergarten Cop. So this is pre-Kindergarten Cop because that was ninety, I believe. Right? Yes, correct. Can you tell me? Is it an action or a comedy? Because he kind of went back and forth, and two years is. He, this is definitely a comedy. Although there is a requisite okay. action scene or two. So I think Junior would have been like 94 or 96. True mm-hmm. Lies would have been after as well. Mm-hmm. Was it. Did you say you didn't like this? Correct. Is it twins? <laughs> it is twins, yes. How could you not like <laughs> twins? That movie flipping rules. When was the last time you saw Twins? It's an eternal classic, so I don't see how that is irrelevant. <laughs> I was in your boat. I'm like, all right, Twins, Kidnapper Cop was great. I'm excited to watch Twins. This is awesome. And no, when you're it's not. Twins, the magic just never ends. <laughs> oh, it's man. got its own song. So, yeah, Twins, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito, um, some sort of scientific experiment where Arnold is bred to be the perfect human and Danny DeVito is his the the leftovers that were born at the same time. Well, the great was left over, yeah. That's what the doctor says. Yeah, it's a great concept, high concept, and an Arnold who was raised on this tropical island goes back to the city to meet his brother we just learned about. He and apparently rose if I recall correctly, he just rose a boat from whatever <laughs> island this is to California. <laughs> he rose it to the nearest airport and then flies to California. Oh, okay. So well, but they do mention it's like better. they do mention it's like eighty nautical miles or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> so yeah, there's some good bits, and Arnold is you know full of charisma. Uh, Danny DeVito's kind of funny, but his character's really annoying, and the movie doesn't seem to know if it should be a comedy or a heartfelt uh, drama between brothers or an action film. And Which is, it doesn't do any of them well. I was going to say, it's so great, though, that, that it succeeds <laughs> accurately at both simultaneously. 
Right. No, no, it does not. I'm sorry to I'm sorry to say, Eric, I challenge you to watch this. And I'm sure you'll chuckle and laugh at the parts you remember that are funny. Uh, but it, it's not a good movie. There's no real craft behind the script or the characters. It meanders. It doesn't quite know what story it's trying to tell. Uh, it gets gets by a lot on the concept. Let's just say that. I have a theory as to why you don't like this movie. Okay. I think much like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito, you and I are the twins. <laughs> you are the Danny DeVito character. Oh, man. And I think no. this just probably triggered some kind of innate insecurity in you. <laughs> I'm speechless because I do not have the mental capacity that you, the greater twin, has to argue that point. That's true. <laughs> oh, maybe that's why. Maybe that is why. <laughs> I'm going to assume willing, that's it. Yeah, I'm willing to just say that that's it. But uh, it's it's not a good movie. It does have yeah. Kelly Preston. It's good seeing her. <laughs> but, you know. There's a, a lot. lot of good character actors from what I remember. Um, who is the guy who plays the, I'm assuming he's a hitman, if I remember correctly, who's kind of trying yes. to track them down because Danny DeVito steals money or finds money or is trying to con someone out of like a briefcase full of money. So there's a whole long story where he steals a car and inside the trunk of the car is. That's a- right is a jet engine, an experimental jet engine that this guy, Marshall Webb is the actor, Marshall Bell is the actor who's been around. And he's hired, he was hired to take this car somewhere, but now Danny DeVito is doing it to get the payout. And that's where the action comes in. He was in Total Recall, wasn't he? Wasn't he Quato? um, Yes, he was. You're right. Open your mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, the vessel for Quato, whatever that guy's name was. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's great. Two Arnold movies. Maybe I'll watch that one because I loved, well, hopefully still will love that one. I did watch um, Total Recall in one of my outdoor movie nights during the height of the pandemic, and it was still phenomenal. Okay. That's good to know. That it's that great. Holds up. Even though uh, I did have my universe shattered when it was revealed that that was all supposed to be a dream. Yes, we Paul Verhoeven. We learned I that while got. watching the commentary. It does not make sense. <laughs> it does when you rewatch it, though. It makes a lot of sense. I just don't uh, like. Okay. I, I I still think it's open to interpretation, but if that's the interpretation you go with, it, it's it holds up. Okay. Well, that one is Paul Verhoeven, so that's got you know he's got some skills. Not like Ivan Reitman. Skills with a Z. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> How about you, Eric? Did you uh, revisit any other childhood classics or anything new? In a way, I did. Um, I continued my journey along the Fast and Furious series. Oh, okay. Um, I'm through the first six now, and what? Ah. What a wild ride and a weird arc. <laughs> the series takes really four movies to kind of like figure out what it wants to be. The first three are all kind of wildly different in tone. The yeah, first they got three, different directors. It, yeah. yeah, Point Break with cars. <laughs> yeah, a lot less crime and a lot much lower stakes. In Point DVD Break, DVD players. Like, <laughs> yeah, DVD VCR <laughs> combos. Excuse me, a futuristic <laughs> technology. 
six uh, million dollars worth is what Dom and his crew have stolen. And this uh, is supposed to be a huge deal, but like I'm pretty sure they cause more than six million dollars worth of property damage in these like illegal street races. So right. I don't know why they're so hard up to stop this like very minor uh, theft and not the actual street racing scene. But whatever, it's it's much better than I remember it being. The second movie is kind of the same thing, but in Miami without Vin Diesel. The third mm-hmm. movie's in Tokyo with nobody in it until Vin Diesel shows up at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fourth movie is where the lunacy begins. It just kind of ratchets up from there. I love these movies despite the slow start. I still haven't seen the 10th one because I have to get through seven, eight, nine first. Yeah, you got to do it in a row. Uh, the punchline to one of the greatest jokes in elementary school knows. Um, why well, was six, five afraid of six or six afraid of seven or whatever? Yeah, seven. Oh, eight. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I got gotcha. you. Took me a minute. <laughs> uh, so Justin Lin, you know, it needs to be commended for taking over the series uh, with number three, which is the worst one, in my opinion. This, yeah, this <laughs> but, was the first time I saw the third one. What I will say for the third one is that it had probably the best driving sequences of okay. those first three movies. Mm-hmm. Like that drifting looked really cool. And yeah, that is true. I noticed that they did none of that in the first and second movie. And then from four on, it's like they constantly drift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They even drift with a, a freaking giant... 10 ton or whatever uh, vault behind them, which is just amazing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But then Justin Lin, you know, took over with number three and then uh, four five and six, he just got better and better. Got a handle on what the movie sh- kind of should be. It's great stuff. Yeah. I, and the reason I say that uh, I kind of did revisit a classic is because I was watching these and I realized that these are like a fever dream mashup of my two, Two of my favorite genres of films. This is almost like when I'm watching the action sequences, they're almost like a satirical love letter to those 80s indestructible action heroes like the Schwarzeneggers and the Stallones and to a lesser extent, the Van Dams and the Seagals like the scene in I think it's the fifth one, which is the one in Brazil. Is that number five? Yeah, with the safe. Yep, with the safe. Yes. When um, Dom jumps across the bridge and he like air tackles Letty, maybe it's the sixth one. That's number six. It must be the sixth one. Like those people would just explode, but they're (laughs) doing all of these crazy physical body stunts that I don't think we saw for a good 20 plus years between the 80s or maybe the very early 90s. And when these movies started coming out. Like that kind of absolutely ludicrous physical style of action movie just Mm -hmm. kind of took a backseat and it's here again, but they're also basically superhero movies. If (laughs) their superpower was uh, making cars disobey the basic laws of physics. (laughs) And I I just love it so much. I can't tell if they're in on the joke. Like I can't sometimes when you hear Vin Diesel speak about these movies, he doesn't realize how ridiculous they are or he doesn't seem to, but it still works because it doesn't come across like it's taking itself seriously. Right. It's very earnest, but you're right. It's not, there's like so much of it that is serious, but when you're watching it, it, it just kind of blends together with the absurdity and like this weird, like alternate universe package that just works really well. Yeah. It's like a South park style 
um, commentary on itself. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, like the movies that they make in the background of a South Park movie, Mm -hmm. but it works somehow. It still is entertaining despite being absolutely insane. I think a lot of it is just the characters are just characters that you like. They're very likable characters and they're likable when they're together and the action scenes are just well-crafted. They're, you know, a lot of practical effects. They look really well done. Um, and they're paced really well. Like they're just, it's just well, there's a lot of talent behind the camera for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's another thing I saw that I want to briefly touch on okay. in the same uh, milieu kind of, <laughs> I haven't gotten to see the trailer yet, but I saw that they're coming out with expendables Four. Oh, are they really? I, this is news to me. Yeah. When I went on IMDb today to look some stuff up for in preparation for our podcast, I saw mm-hmm. like a big banner for expendables Four. The tagline is, they'll die when they're dead. (laughs) I hope that is my wish for both the Fast series and the Expendable series. I hope they keep pumping these movies out until the people in them are dead. And then I hope they reanimate their corpses and push on. Despite (laughs) the moral and ethical quandary that they would be introducing to the world. Just, you know, if Tupac can do concerts as a hologram, why can't we just keep making the movies? I mean, the technology's there, you know, just got to find the right franchise to do it. Yeah. Or dead. Or dead. I mean, does it matter at this point? (laughs) It doesn't matter. I feel Uh, like if I'm dead, I'd be okay with an AI taking over my corpse and just walking around as me. Like, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I'd be okay with that if you died too. (laughs) Yeah. Where can I sign a waiver? Right. (laughs) Well, this is going to open up a lot of interesting discussions when you get to the next uh, three movies on on the Fast and Furious saga, for sure. Yeah, I know your stance is that seven's the best, and they should have ended there. But yeah, I'm still. I remember really enjoying eight. I remember enjoying nine slightly less than eight, but I don't Mm. remember anything about these movies. Mm, Okay, well, that's why I'm interested. Except my feelings of joy. Your feelings of joy, <laughs> just a haze of joy, and then you smoke Every a cigarette. Every time one comes out, it's like Christmas, <laughs> right? It's like Santa's coming, but he's a big, muscular, bald man. Oh yeah. Well, we have at least two more after the, after the new one. At least, mm-hmm. who knows? It was supposed to only be one more, and now it's two more. So who knows? All right, Eric. Well, I want to talk about something. One other movie I saw, which was probably one of the best theater going experiences I've had in a long time. If you talk about Avatar again, I'm going to be really upset. I saw Avatar. No, I saw um, in a drive-in movie theater. I saw Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, that must have been fun. Pee-wee's Big Adventure in the movie. Exactly. I meta have not seen this since I was a kid uh, directed by Tim Burton in 1985. I don't know what my first exposure was to Pee Wee Herman. If it was the TV show, if it was the movie, I just know I kind of grew Hopefully up with it him. wasn't in a theater. <laughs> no, yeah. I just know I grew up with the, the character and I've my memory of this movie, not having seen it in God knows how long I remembered vividly a whole bunch of scenes, creepy stuff, exciting things, funny things. Like I remembered all these scenes. So watching this movie again, I was like, 
okay, now I can see how all these scenes connect together into one movie. And it turns out that this movie has no connective tissue at all. I just remembered the entire movie in my head (laughs) because it goes from like scene to scene to scene to scene, very episodic, like, and all of them are really cool and interesting, but there's no like driving, uh, no script mechanics that connect them. The thing that connects it is Pee Wee Herman's character and his driving force to find his lost bike and his childlike nature meeting all these people and going out on this adventure. I mean, that's the only plot of the movie. When was the last time you saw it? Oh my God. I couldn't even tell you the nineties probably. Yeah. So the, so for example, I remember a really cool chase scene where they're getting PB's riding his bike through all these different through movie like a sets. TV set or something. Yeah. Right? Like yeah, a movie, movie sets, yep. studio set or something. And then I remember a, the fire at the pet store where he's rescuing all the animals. Don't remember that. And I was thinking in my head, oh, there's got to be some way he gets from this chase to the pet store. And no, he just the chase ends and then there's a pet store on fire. And like that's it just moves from one scene to the other. And I remember uh, Twisted Sister was in it with We're Twisted Not Gonna Sister. Take It. Yes, yes. Your dad's favorite band? <laughs> yes. So, so I will I will tell it, say a quick aside that my my dad was a musician back in the day and his band got in a fight with Twisted Sister but before they were famous. So, and he says that they uh, they won. So, take that. Like <laughs> a D Snyder. Yeah. Um anyway. So, enough about just the the structure of the movie. Paul Rubens is a very gifted comic and physical actor. Like the way he moves his body, the way he talks, it's just interesting and funny to watch. Like he really creates this character out of like, just like a movement of his face or, or like the way his body twists or a weird noise he makes. He inhabits Pee Wee very well. And Pee Wee's childlike nature is such a good like lens to view the world. And the things that happen in this movie are so heightened because of that. There's like there's dream sequences where Pee Wee is dreaming about his bike being dismantled by a bunch of clown surgeons, and it's terrifying. It's like really creepy. And there there's a there's a bunch of scenes like that that I think Tim Burton kind of knocked it out of the park with his first movie. Um, just like knowing how to move the camera and just create this like really I use the word again heightened sense of. Uh, I don't know, just like em- emotions and and um, just design. It's really really interesting. A lot of a lot of cool shots, and seeing it in the drive-in was great. As you said, the last section of the movie is all in the drive-in, and the drive-in that they go to is showing the hollywood version of peewee's big adventure which is just hilarious now that i've seen a lot of movies in my old age it's a very very funny parody of itself in a way that's awesome i should watch that again i always forget that tim burton made it it's one of those things that i think i know Mm -hmm. but it still surprises me every time someone's like oh yeah tim burton made peewee's big adventure and i'm like oh yeah that's crazy yeah, and it, uh, Phil Hartman helped write it. Phil Hartman and Paul Rubens wrote it. That, yeah, yeah. So it's got good pedigree, and it really shows on the screen. You, like 
there's a lot of talent there. I was really impressed. That's awesome. Yeah. Peewee's Big Adventure. I don't think I want to watch the Peewee's Big Top Peewee because I don't remember that being very good. But I remember when I was a kid, I really liked Peewee's Big Adventure and really did not like Big Top Peewee. Mm -hmm. But I feel like those are also the kind of movies that I probably didn't get what was really going on. So there's a chance Big Top Peewee is pretty good. I have no idea. Hmm. Well, maybe I'll watch it and find out. So, uh, is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into our main topic? I'm ready for the main topic. I've been spending all of my time luxuriating with Vin Diesel and now The Rock. <laughs> uh, I mean, are you still talking about movies? or <laughs> You know, movies and in my dreams. <laughs> all right, Eric, would you like to talk about the movie that was off of your watch list? That we chose for this? (laughs) I think so. So the film was I'm Totally Fine from 2022, directed by Brandon Dermer, whose name is really annoying to say. (laughs) And it was written by Alicia Ketri and Brandon Dermer. It is about Vanessa, who is a caustic, self-centered, middle-aged woman mourning the death of her best friend and business partner, Jennifer. Wait, what? What did I write here? (laughs) She has her temper tantrums interrupted by a cosmically inept alien who's taken the form of her deceased friend to conduct research into the human species. The two take a spiritual journey to nowhere that despite meandering aimlessly for no for 83 excruciating minutes helps Vanessa begin to heal. It was a cool concept that I think was executed in the most boring way possible. It's a dramedy with very little comedy and almost no drama. Hmm. Uh, you know, I'm on board with your uh, description there. I was not a fan. I really did not like the main character played by Jillian Bell. I thought that she was self-centered and um, just not fun to watch on screen. Caustic was a good word that you used. Insufferable was what I wrote in my review. <laughs> and Also true. <laughs> I think the main problem was, look, it sucks when someone in your life dies. It, it's horrible. It sucks. But it happens to everybody. And this movie kind of like made it seem like it was so, like her story was so precious, you know? And that right off the bat started to bother me. Like what makes this different than other people's stories? And I didn't get any sense that this was different i never got a sense of the character or anything like that yeah um i just thought vanessa was thoroughly unlikable Mm -hmm. and you know you get some slack when you're grieving and your best friend slash business partner dies Mm -hmm. but she was just grating and mean all the time Mm -hmm. there were like probably about five minutes of the movie where she wasn't just annoying or (sighs) acting derisive (laughs) to somebody right yeah and then she was probably Um, drunk during those times the alien natalie morales like i vaguely remember her being in parks and rec her alien was so weird (laughs) all of of the memories of the girl whose body she like replicated or whatever Mm -hmm. 
but had that weird, annoying voice. Like, you know, the speech patterns of humans and you're making this choice as an actor, or I I think I'm going to blame the director because I looked uh, her credits up because I was like, she looks familiar. Oh, it's Parks and Rec. But she's a voice actress who's been on like a lot of things. Rugrats, Harley Quinn's. She was into the Spider-Verse. She was in Spider-Man. She -hmm. was one of the characters in Bojack Horseman. So she has a lot of voice acting experience. She's a good actress. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that voice was just. Ah, it was there was no charisma. (laughs) I neither one of those characters had any charisma or anything for the audience to kind of empathize with. Mm -hmm. And I just. For a movie where really the only conflict is like the internal struggle of the main character, mm-hmm. I just, there were no stakes for someone I didn't care about. Like, yes, that's a good point. The stakes here is that this character who I don't like, who doesn't <laughs> appear to have many or any redeeming qualities, mm-hmm. is going to continue to be that person. And who cares? <laughs> yes right and you know it's not like there was a yeah her, her life was fine besides her friend dying her life was fine she's a successful businesswoman she's got a loving boyfriend or husband and you know there was wasn't like, anything yeah. dude's just trying to learn the base why are you being such a bitch about it <laughs> yeah. like even your boyfriend you're like making fun of him behind his back as he's like i have a new hobby and i'm really enjoying it like yes fuck you lady mm-hmm it was just, all he was doing was being supportive. Every he was every, being uh, supportive. He was a nice guy. He's like calling. Mm-hmm. Maybe the calling was a little excessive and annoying, but mm-hmm. he was worried about her. He was calling out of love, and she mm-hmm. wasn't even addressing him. She was just like making fun. He got a base. It's so stupid, and it's like <laughs> it's fine. But uh, we never yeah. see a part of her outside of like these little blips mm-hmm. that show any kind of like good qualities. There's the part where she's like, I should have signed this deal and maybe my friend would still be alive and it's my fault, mm-hmm. which I don't know. Maybe I agree with that. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's the thing. She just was nitpicky to be nitpicky and uh, caustic to be caustic for no, it didn't seem like it was just out of her grieving. It seemed like that was her. So they never go into the reasons behind why this character is the way she is or make it seem like she wasn't that way prior to the death. So we're not trying to get back to anything. We're just like, you suck and you continue to suck. I think the the script writers and, you, you know, the people involved thought that this character was compelling because maybe they thought it was humorous, but whatever humor they were trying to get out of this character was not working for me. Her funny drunk stuff at the beginning was not funny. I was going to say that was the only part of the movie. I liked her character a little bit because I was reading a little bit about this movie and that part was entirely ad-libbed and Jillian Bell is, I know her from bit parts. She was in some movie about running a marathon, I think, or something yeah, like that. Which I never a marathon. Saw. It's funny. It's a pretty good movie. Um, but everything else, like 22 Jump Street, and I forget what else I saw her in, in a similar kind of role. She was clearly ad-libbing and was funny. I thought those parts were like, okay, at least. Yeah, yeah. I, I So this smacks of being a pandemic movie, you know, a movie that they 
uh, wrote and shot during the pandemic because there's only two people in it at a time, maybe three <laughs> in like a scene or two. Um, and it feels like it was thrown together almost like they didn't really have a, a strong enough concept for a movie, a strong enough script. Um, but they decide to make a movie anyway. <laughs> that's, that's, it's rough to say, but that's how I felt watching it. I'm like, Oh, just because well, you can make a movie for, you know, 10 grand doesn't mean you should make a movie <laughs> for 10. Totally grand. nailed it. <laughs> this movie was conceived, uh, in the, the material I read, I forget if they said they, had the idea either right before or at the very beginning of the pandemic and then shot it in December of 2020. Uh So it was like one of those things where they all, there were like 30 total cast and crew members living in a house. Uh Um, The thing that was shocking to me was I looked up the guy who's in it two or three scenes, the guy with the Kyle Newichek, who if you stayed for the credits, like, the producers were the two main actresses and this four family of new which is just um, very odd. But this guy has been involved in some truly funny things, which I was shocked that he made something so poor. He's a producer for workaholics, which I've seen a couple episodes and was pretty funny. He's a producer for one of my favorite shows, what we do in the shadows. Oh, which is probably how they get Harvey Guillen to be in it as like a weird, crazy DJ um, <laughs> who was so cartoonish. He didn't fit with the rest of the movie. Right. Yeah, that's true. I think that it's a disconnect between um, maybe what the, the talents of this cast is, is really good at or the producers and the directors and the writers because of the situation they were in with the pandemic of, you know, we can't do what we normally can do but we could rent a house and make our little bubble and film a, you know, a movie for a couple weeks. Yeah. It just, it's a, it's a different way of working, you know, it did not work for me. Yeah. Did not work for me as well. I hated it from the first five minutes, I think. And it never drugged me back (laughs) from not hating it. So my wife watched this, um, Well, no, she didn't. I was watching this in bed and my wife was trying to fall asleep. And she said, I've only heard five minutes of this and I can tell you it's a bomb. (laughs) She's a smart lady. Probably. I think I watched the first half hour or hour of it in a different room. And then I was like, I want to come to bed and watch this in bed. Yeah. She was like, yeah, fine. I'm just trying to fall asleep. And that was her review after like, what is this? This sucks. <laughs> of just hearing the dialogue and what the, the two characters were talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a swing and a miss. It wasn't even a big swing. It's like a bunt and a miss. Really. Yeah. <laughs> they bunted it foul. Third strike. Out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Well, I gave it a, I gave it one and a half stars. That's a half star more than I would give it. Okay. Yeah. I think I reserved my one stars for like offensively bad. I didn't think this was offensively bad, Uh, but it was definitely bad. Yeah. It just was so boring. Yeah. I would rather watch a child draw pictures on like a cardboard box that he taped to my TV than watch this again. (laughs) <laughs> wow that's a very creative insult <laughs> is that what you uh 
Is that what you watch for your your second movie? <laughs> it is actually. I invited a small child that I didn't know over to my house. And I just had him draw things for me for a solid two hours until the police came and made him leave. <laughs> so they made him leave like he was bothering you. <laughs> yeah, they said something about kidnapping and they gave me this piece of paper with a court date on it. I don't know what's happening. Uh, well, this may be our last episode, Eric. But <laughs> So, all right. Well, I'm sorry that uh, we had to watch this. But maybe you watch something better. You know what's crazy is that I did. And it's basically the same movie. Oh my god. Is uh, okay, go ahead. What why? Did, did we do it again? I don't know. Let's let's hear it. I watched a John Carpenter classic. Nineteen eighty four film Starman. Did we do it? No, we did not. <laughs> We're way off. <laughs> Oh, you got me so excited. Why did I, you well, because do- I it sounded like we might have. But okay, Starman, that's a that's an outside the box pick, but it makes sense now that you th- now that I think about it. Yeah, I I'm not sure if I che- excuse me, I'm not sure if I cheated or not. Because I may have seen this movie when I was a small child. I remember we had it. We pirated it from the video store. Uh, pirating is not a victimless crime i know but it was the 80s and my parents did it i didn't know what was going on yeah yeah so i remember we had this but i don't remember a thing about it and i saw that it was john carpenter and i know it's about an alien coming to earth to observe humankind yes um so i said why not let's go with it yeah great pick yeah um so this movie is about when the Voyager probe, which was such a big thing in the eighties, the Voyager probe, and they're still going, I think, unless I'm thinking of the Viking probes, but I'm pretty sure Voyager two Voyager is still like, going. Yeah. It, it left, left the solar system. The first mm-hmm. interstellar object humanity is sent into space. Mm-hmm. So the Voyager probe encounters what I thought was an alien planet, but I guess is an alien spaceship as revealed at the end of the movie. The aliens decide to pay Earth a visit. Um, This is actually true. The Voyager did get sent out with like this kind of box of Earth stuff. And one of them was like an audio recording that it was like transmitting with greetings in several different languages. I would assume the number. Yeah. I would assume the number they say is like 50 some odd languages. I would assume that was accurate. Mm Yeah. just confuse the aliens by speaking 50 something languages. Yeah. yeah that's, that'll work. What if they speak one of them somehow they right. the same language as Swahili or whatever? I don't, I, yeah, I don't get the logic, but whatever they're, they sent something into space and I can barely, uh, use the toilet. accurately. So <laughs> right. I'm going to assume that they're smarter than I am. Uh, the being spaceship is immediately shot down over Wisconsin he takes the form of the widow's husband, Jeff Bridges. Um, and then the alien forces her to take him to Arizona so he can rendezvous with the mothership. Along the way, Starman learns what it means to be human. Hmm. I loved it. It's crazy because it's so incredibly similar, but it is executed perfectly. And it's just amazing what competency can do for a film, even though... I still think it has some pretty big problems. Have you seen Starman recently? Uh, a couple of years ago, I saw it at a retrospective uh, Zoom Films show. Um, but I don't remember too many details. But go ahead. 
Yeah, well, Starman, like, has some of the same problems as the alien in the previous film, who is studying humanity and, you know, at least Starman, it makes sense how he talks a little weird, but he does have all of these examples of, of human speech and decidedly does not sound like that. Right. Um, at one point, he outright says the theme of the film, humanity is at its best when things are at its worst. But it's a completely unearned sentiment if you watch the movie, because the second he enters the atmosphere, he's shot down and attacked. Um, he's been pursued by the military and assaulted multiple times by random humans. So I don't know how he would have ever gathered that, being that he's just been chased and beat up right. for an like, hour and a half. This sucks. <laughs> yeah, like that's what he should be saying. At one point he says, you'd be surprised at how many savage, uh, intelligent species are out there. And I'm like, but you guys are different. And I'm like, but how? You didn't, but, that's what mm. you saw. But we see an actual human connection. And like the people that Karen Allen is the female lead um, and Jeff Bridges play have charisma and there's something to empathize with them. We know the stakes here. He's going to die if he stays on this planet Mm -hmm. and he's just defending himself. Like there's something to root for here. Uh, There's a tangible antagonist. There's the military. There are the scientists who are trying to catch him. Uh, The military seems to want to kill him. There's a, a character who works for SETI who just wants to kind of make contact and figure out what he's doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but there, there are obstacles that they have to overcome that are external. And even the internal ones, uh, Karen Allen with her grief, we want these people to succeed because they're likable characters. Yeah. Um, and it just makes it a totally different movie, even if it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in places and, you know, outright says the theme without a reason for us to, to believe in that theme, given what we've seen, it was still a really enjoyable movie that was like touching and heartwarming, I guess. Yeah, no, I can see that. And you got John Carpenter really knows what he's doing. John Carpenter um, with his synthesizer soundtrack that you know, I, yes. he definitely did himself. I would assume again, <laughs> I'd assume so too. He's definitely got a, uh, his own musical style and it usually works really well. Yeah, and just Jeff Bridges being Jeff Bridges, Karen Allen, peak Karen Allen in 1984. I am and jealous not, I got to watch this. Not a whole lot of other, many other people. When I uh, I used to, when I was a kid, I had the picture, the movie picture book for Starman. I still have it actually. So I have a sort of special connection to it because I used to flip through and look at all the pictures all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how you make this kind of movie. And that's mm-hmm. how they should have made the previous movie is giving giving us people to root for. Right. It's not that hard to create empathy, especially for someone whose uh, best friend just died mm-hmm. or husband, which. Right. Yeah. It, it's low hanging fruit. And then to, to take them and make them just an unlikable a-hole all the time is. Not the way to go about it, but Starman does it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Jeff, Jeff Bridges, you know, he's got natural chemistry. Uh, so, yeah, the, that's a good one. Good pick. There are all these scenes of him, like, trying to mimic the husband, mm-hmm. like his facial expressions. But he just, I, I admire actors who can act solely with their faces. He manages to make the same expression that was in um, 
like the the home movie clip or in the photo album that Karen Allen has because back in the day you didn't have a Facebook you had an actual physical book of photos which is just wow. cumbersome and it would just sit <laughs> places and collect dust until you decided to like look at stuff which is right. like, oof hopefully that never comes back <laughs> um, but he makes the same photo but there's something more almost sinister or there's something off about it where he looks like a crazy person. And I can't, I don't know what he's doing with his face to make it look like that. Cause it's the same expression, but just different. Right. He's a regular Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. <laughs> no, almost, no almost as good as Paul Rubens. <laughs> Rubens. Um, oh, and that's the other thing I didn't say is like the first, I want to say probably the first at least 20 minutes, if not half an hour or 40 minutes of this movie, you don't know what the aliens doing. And there is some real tension there of like, Mm. is Starman going to harm her? Is he going to kill her? Mm -hmm. Like, what is, what is he doing? And that was like all really well done, like classic carpenter thriller. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, Starman, that's a great pick. I don't know why I did not think at all of a movie like that for for my pick. You know, I just wanted a movie of like an alien learning about humanity. I almost did K-Pax and then I was like, I don't know. No, yeah. We, <laughs> let's let's put a little distance between us and K-Pax for a while. <laughs> I never saw it, but yeah, I've heard too. really bad things. It came out was that his first movie, Kevin Spacey's first movie after American Beauty? I almost said American Pie. Could you imagine him as Eugene Levy in American Pie? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, no, it might have been. I don't know for sure, but it feels like it was that time period. It was yeah. like, yeah, definitely that time period. And I really wanted to see it and never did. And then I heard it was really bad. Well, you dodged a bullet, hopefully. So I went a different route. I wanted to kind of watch a similar type of movie, not necessarily plot wise uh, um, of the one we watched. I'm totally fine. So I'm with a movie called language lessons, 2021 directed by Natalie Morales. Oh, it's a pandemic movie for sure. It stars Natalie Morales and Mark Duplass only. It's just them. And it's just them over webcams, whole movies told over webcams. It's a story of uh, she plays a Spanish teacher that's hired by Mark Duplass's husband to teach him Spanish because when he Mark Duplass was younger, his character had moved around a lot and spent a lot of time in Mexico and kind of wanted to, you know, relive relive those that language and 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 become more fluent once again. So Duplass's husband gets him a hundred less Spanish lessons over. Uh, with this lady over Zoom. Soon after their first lesson, Mark Duplass's husband dies. Uh, And then it turns into just like her being there for him during this time. So it's about, you know, someone processing the death of a loved one, like the first movie. Natalie Morales helping <laughs> to do that. <laughs> Except this time the two have great chemistry. They're both very likable. And there is some stakes involved because uh, 
things get revealed throughout the story. I don't want to spoil anything because this movie is very sweet and I liked it a lot. And I think people should watch it and experience it for themselves. But there are some things revealed about the characters as the movies go as the movie goes on that bring some real stakes into it. That are they going to develop this friendship? Are are bad things going to happen to certain people? Are are they go are they going to continue to learn Spanish together? It's 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 very low key and sweet and beautiful in a way. It shows that you can make a movie with that same idea. Someone uh, processing the death of a loved one with just two people talking. And when you have two likable, great actors, it really works. And I will say I got emotional during this. It is funny, but also very, uh, heartbreaking and and beautiful in its own way. Yeah, language lessons, highly recommended. That sounds pretty great. Yeah, I you know it does it does a lot with a little. Clearly made during the pandemic again, twenty twenty one it came out. Uh, Natalie Morales and Mark Duplass wrote it. She directed it. So it's really just the two of them. I don't think they needed much crew for this at all. But it looks, it even looks better than the last movie, just lighting wise and cinematography wise. Just, you know, even though it's over on a webcam, they do a lot of interesting visual things with the how they interact with each other just to keep it interesting. And, and just kind of forgot that I'm just watching two people talking because you just get engrossed in what's happening. Cool. Yeah, very good. I'm a fan of Mark Duplass. Everything he he's he's very good at like these low budget like indie drama comedies. He's always making something, and they're always really interesting. Yeah, I know him mostly from the League, which is also fantastic. But yeah. I get a feeling it's a much different vibe. From <laughs> didn't he have a show on HBO for a while that was like a dramedy? Um, yeah, he did. I can't remember what it was called. It was about the hotel room. Yeah, something. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, no, it's a good good movie. Great poster. Language lessons. Check it out. So I think we uh we both watched a good movie after a bad movie. Have you got a chance to uh look over my watch list and pick a movie for next episode? Hopefully a good one. I did. So all of the things in your watch list. Yes. Are things you've never seen before. Correct. <sighs> oh, God. I, I will give you a choice of two. Oh, okay. Um, and we'll just save the next one for the next time it's my turn to pick. Have sure. you really never seen Rambo First Blood Part 2? Correct. I've never seen it. <laughs> okay, so it's either that or Action USA. Action USA. Is that a, a, a Chuck Norris one? I don't. It's Gregory Scott Cummins, William Hubbard Knight, Barry Murphy, Ross Hagen, Hoke Howell. I don't think any of these are real names. Rod Shaft. <laughs> All right. I want to go with Action USA because I don't even remember why I put that on my list. I know I'm going to watch Rambo at some point. That's a given. 1989, one... directed by John Stewart. I'm assuming not <laughs> the John Stewart. 
I would assume so as well. An action explosion in the USA is what drew me to this, besides the title. Mm-hmm. And here is a review from a pe- person named Marty McKee, who gave it four and a half stars. Only watch this if you love car chases, car jumps, car explosions, car smashes, and burning men. <laughs> I am sold. All right. It's like a Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, I'm definitely into this. Um, I think I vaguely remember hearing things about this, which is why I added it to my watch list. But uh, yeah, I'm going to watch First Blood at some point in my life. First Blood Part 2. So, Well, at some point in your life will be like, a month or two from weeks, now. Yeah. <laughs> but this one I may never have gotten to. So thank you for picking it. So wait. Like, can we talk about Rambo for a second? Yeah, please. I know you've seen John Rambo. Um, yeah, they made a truck bleed Burm- that one. Burma's yeah. a war zone. Yeah, they made a truck bleed. Yes. Did you just not see the two in the middle? Uh, yes, I've only seen the first one. And the fourth one? And the fourth one, because you made me watch the fourth one. And I never saw Uh, it. You're welcome. (laughs) Yes. You you gave me the 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 wonderful experience of watching the fourth one. With the experience of watching the greatest Rambo movie of them all. Well, maybe not the first one's pretty great. Oh really? I did not know that that was your ranking. I assumed my guess would have been for you. Two, one four and then some How of the you, you've never even seen the second one it just seems like the classic one that everyone loves the most huh maybe I'm I, wrong. so the thing is the first one is a phenomenal drama yes it's a great character study and drama mm-hmm. the second two really become more 80s action film e yes um and i think the fourth kind of combines them as ridiculous oh, okay. as it sounds, because the action and gore and violence are over the top. Mm-hmm. But it's the film where Rambo, um, it's all about him coming full circle and coming to terms with the man he is. Okay. And I thought, um, I wonder how not having seen the second and third movies, how that would have changed or not changed. I don't know. Did you like the fourth Rambo movie? I was it don't... just a gore action fest for you? Yeah, it was just the gore action fest. I don't really remember much besides some fun action. Um, I don't have any connection to the character. At that time, I definitely didn't. Now, I think I probably watched First Blood for the first time after that movie. Oh, so you'd never seen Rambo before that movie? I don't think so. I mean, I've seen parts here and there, but never all the way through. Well, the next time I'm home for any length of time, I'll bring my Rambo box set in the steel box with the four movies and we can just watch all of them. I am down. I will definitely do that. Put it on the calendar. Uh, I hope to see you in New Jersey soon. (laughs) In a way, it's a similar arc to um, Fast and Furious. It all comes back to family. It all comes back to family. (laughs) Full circle. Such Sights to See, along with my other projects, can be found on ProLeary.com. On Letterboxd, I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey, because I'm longer. Thanks for listening, and as always, have a good night and sweet dreams. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.